Hey good people, this is Jerry and I Dom back with another reflection and this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow and have impact in the world. So hey, I am starting with the concept or idea of a midlife crisis. I have a smile on my face because there's so many things, there's so many reactions that I'm having to that concept of a midlife crisis but that is my starting point this is a take two I did a reflection yesterday morning that I have decided to not upload I'll explain that in a second Um, but what's important right now is today is Wednesday morning and the reflection I did yesterday, Tuesday morning, was was really good for me personally. But there were two pockets of that reflection where it went silent. And the only reason why I don't usually check my reflections before I release them, but because I was maneuvering my phone between a recording device and a reading device, something said, go and make sure that when you were out of the app for recording and into the app for reading that it didn't mess with the audio and it actually did so there are two sizable pockets of that reflection where it goes silent otherwise it was really really good a good reflection so I'm nervous this morning about trying to repeat that because I'm because I can't Because yesterday's reflection, I was working through the idea of a midlife crisis. But I ended that reflection accepting that that's what, that I'm actually experiencing one in a weird backwards kind of way. Not in a typical way that people talk about a midlife crisis. So in yesterday's reflection, I was actually working through it. And if I uploaded that reflection, you would hear me challenging, poking, questioning, but when I got to that end of the reflection, I resolved, I resigned to the fact that, yeah, you're kind of in this space. And then all of yesterday and through the night, I sat with that resolve that I am in some kind of midlife crisis, even though, again, the concept, the, the terminology in how we use it typically in our society just doesn't resonate with me. So I'm here to try to share some of that with you, although I can't repeat it. I really, it was a good reflection. I'm really disappointed that the audio on that just didn't work out. And I could go in there and try to edit it. That's not the spirit of this project. And I think I would have to learn how to edit it through this platform because I'm recording this differently than I record in my primary podcast which I do a lot of editing. So anyway, we're starting with the midlife crisis, and this is a take two. I am not working through it. There's going to be more of a reporting out, but but I'm still looking forward to this reflection because I think that there were parts of the reflection that weren't resolved. And so I'm excited to see where it's going to take me, but just disappointed that you're missing the front end of that reflection. You're missing the discovery part, but we don't know where this today's reflection is going to take me.
we, we don't know. So we're starting with a midlife crisis. I also want to tell you that I have access. I'm going to be using some text. And the title of the text is called Searching for Meaning Beyond the Midlife Crisis. And it's by a lady uh, by the name of Elaine Dun- Dundon. And it's published in on the website Psychology Today. Searching for Meaning Beyond the Midlife Crisis by Elaine Dundon in Psychology Today. If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram, pushing those two systems together. My ego, been looking at the word concept of ego, my ego identifies as being an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I am a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. I politically play around with the concept of being a critical race feminist. It is just the best way for people to understand that I have an intellectual sensitivity to power in the social world particularly relating to constructs such as race, class, gender, and sexuality, to name a few. This project is unedited and it is unscripted. If you want to know more about it or me, please feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. So I'm a little tired. You guys can probably hear it, um, but I really, really feel that I need to get this reflection out of me so that I can grow with it. So I do these reflections with you all. And then they, they sit with me and they grow with me. And they mature in me. And I I feel like this idea of a midlife crisis is really living inside of me in a meaningful way, in a transformative way. And I want you to be a, be a part of that journey with me. And so I'm getting this reflection out to you so that that's a, that's a critical piece to where I, wherever I am in the world right now. It's, it is really impacting my thinking. All right, so let me try to give a little bit of context as to yesterday. Let me try to give a little bit of yesterday with you of why I went down this midlife crisis um, rabbit hole, if you will. And I laughed all the way through it because I was like, that's not me. I'm not in a midlife crisis. Ha, ha, ha. And then to get to the end of that reflection and go, damn, I'm in a midlife crisis. (laughs) So anyway, let me just try to give a little bit of that uh, repeat yesterday and then see where I go in this reflection. So this past weekend, I believe it was Sunday, was Saturday or Sunday, I did a reflection called Transsensory. And in that reflection, I was reading from a list I got up in the morning, I had some randomness going through my brain, and I made a list, and the list had 13 items of randomness. And as I read that list to you all in that reflection, I started noticing clusters or themes. And I believe I clustered um, 3, 4, and 5 together as a theme, 7, 10, 13 as a theme, 
No, there's some other ones. And then there were two outliers. One outlier was death, the other world, and this world. And that when I say outlier or straggler, I couldn't connect that item into a cluster. That was my number one. And that's the reflection you got. I think Sunday. Well, yesterday I came back because this list is pretty good. And there's some reflections I wanted to share with you all from this list. So I said, okay, let's go back to this list from the weekend and let's talk. And the two that are most interesting to me, the two clusters from that list would be items. Items two, six, and nine. So number two on that list was disassociation from my culture. Number six was meaning, belonging, and loving. And number nine was meaning, blackness, and culture. So I saw a theme there. I grouped those three together, and I called that the meaning cluster. I wanted to talk through that with you all. That was what I hit the record button to do, to talk through the meaning cluster of that list. I also had another cluster of 7, 10, and 13. Number 7 on the list was education, was the vehicle, and now it is the container. That was my number 7. Number 10 was INTJ content projection and in parentheses I have TI with a question mark and number 13 a case against INTP not against INTPs but against the INTP classification as relating to me because there's a way that I connect to the INTP and then there's a way that I clearly don't connect to it and so I was number 13 as well making a case that I'm not an INTP, damn it. <laughs> and that cluster, I don't think I named it, uh, but you clearly see INTJ, INTP, and my work as an educator in that second cluster. Um, so I'm going to call it the NT, the occupational NT cluster, NT, whether it's INTJ, INTP, the occupational NT cluster. That's gonna, I'm just going to name it like that right now. So there were two clusters, the meaning cluster, which I named as meaning yesterday, and the occupational NT cluster that I'm naming as that today. And I hit the record button to talk through those. And I immediately fell into a rabbit hole about midlife crisis. <laughs> And, and, and because as I started talking about the meaning cluster, I went to the internet. Yay. I went to the internet to see articles about meaning. I had already done this this weekend. I'd already started researching what does meaning mean? And most, most of my research on the internet over the weekend was pulling up articles about purpose, life's purpose. And that's not what I'm struggling with. I'm not struggling with purpose in my mind. I'm trying to get at this concept of meaning. So I was a little annoyed when I did the search on the internet. like. And then what was really annoying is that all 
most of the articles on purpose were related to jobs, employment. And I'm like, damn you, capitalism, right? Like, why does meaning have to be associated with purpose for employment or work? And I just didn't like it. So that was what I, the search I did this weekend. Well, when I did the search yesterday, an article, I said, don't search just for meaning. Search for meaning after 50. You guys know I'm 50. I'll be 51 in a few days. So I was like, don't just search for meaning and get nonsense articles. Put in meaning after 50. And then I started seeing articles about midlife. So then I laughed about that. And one of the reasons I laughed, um, other than the fact that I don't believe, I didn't believe I was experiencing a midlife crisis. One reason that I um, laughed is because, and this is really relevant for those of you who are not 50 or beyond. So even if you're young, younger and you're still listening, I should have said this right away. But I think this reflection could be for you as well. And one of the reasons, and this is what I talked about yesterday in the um, reflection that you're not going to get, <laughs> is um, my cousin, when she was about 21, 22 years old, she was going through this season where she was like, I'm in a midlife crisis. I'm going through a midlife crisis. And I thought it was absurd when she was talking like that because you're 21, 22 years old. What type of midlife crisis are you going through? But that's how she was framing this season in her life. And as in hindsight, what I understand now, and we're talking about 20 years later, because I would imagine that she's, we're not taught. This is a, a cousin where we're estranged and it's so sad because we have a lot in common and I don't, it hurts. It's very hurtful for me, but I've never processed this. Um, I don't even talk about it with myself because what are you going to do? If somebody I love, um, we have a lot in common. And anyway, I'll talk about that at some point. But you guys, you know, the intergenerational trauma piece doesn't just impact me. It impacts other people in my family. And part of me respecting her is respecting that she doesn't want to have a relationship with me. And I have to accept that. So, and it's not just me, but I take it personal <laughs> because I'm like, go, oh, we have so much in common. Okay. But anyway, so she's about 41 right now. Um, no, you know what? 46, 42. So she's probably 42, 43. Anyway. When she was 21, 22, she was talking about being going through this midlife crisis. And as I think about this now, she was going through what this article calls a turning point. This article pretty much says that a midlife crisis is a turning point for you. And we can go through, and the article says that we go through multiple turning points in our lives. And this, the article really makes a good case for and against for and against this idea of a midlife crisis. Um, and I hope to get to that. But for now, I want to say that it's just a turning point in your life, one of many. And to my cousin's point or credit, this was probably the first turning point that she went through. 
And the only way that she could relate to it was call it a midlife crisis. Because that was the only language, that's the only verbiage that our society has allowed or has given us. So that's, I laughed at that because it's, it was funny at the time. I thought my cousin was ridiculous. And maybe that's why she's not talking to me um, right now, but I thought it was ridiculous. Like, what do you mean you're going through a midlife crisis? You're only 22 years old, but she was tapping into something. She was going through a turning point and that was the only language that she had. And according to this article, it's one of many. The other reason why I reject or laugh at the idea of a midlife crisis is because I don't feel like I'm in one. I don't feel like I'm having a crisis. And I look at a crisis as being confused. I look at a midlife crisis as being an ex- and as existential crisis, like, who am I? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Um, where do I go from here? And I, I see a midlife crisis as this emotional turmoil. And I don't feel like I'm having that. I don't feel like I'm in any kind of emotional turmoil. So before I read this article and I saw, um, as I put in, Finding meaning after 50 and these articles popped up for midlife crisis. I'm like, that's not what I'm going through. I'm not going to read that. But because I couldn't find any articles to read, I was like, all right, fine, fine, fine. Let me read this one article that says searching for meaning beyond the midlife crisis, beyond the midlife crisis. And that's how we got here. So that's just the story of how we got here. I'm going to read parts of this article with you and just talk about the parts that resonate with me. And then if I plan to close in the way I closed yesterday, I don't have any notes, but how I'm remembering my closing yesterday, because I really felt like yesterday I did a good job at bringing this all together for my listeners. And giving us so what value to you, even if you're not 50 or beyond. Um, but we'll see. I don't know if I, I don't know if I can re- recreate that. Okay. But that's how we got here. So the first thing in this article that was really, um, helpful for me was the idea of looking at 50 and beyond. What the, um, Article says is that we lump, once we hit 50, we kind of put 50 to 95 as this one chunk. And we're considered seniors. And I think, excuse me, I think seniors, senior status begins at 55, which I think is funny. Especially since I'll be 51 in a few years, like, oops, excuse me, in a few years, in a few days, like, oh, we're approaching 55. I'm, I'm becoming a senior. The other thing I'm noticing is that I'm developing friendships with people who are younger than me. And about five years ago when that started happening, I really rejected it. I resisted those friendships because I'm like, because I'm an educator, I'm so used to people being younger than me as not being my peers. So I really struggle with the idea that somebody younger than me could be a peer 
could bring something to the table because I'm so used to being the one that's supposed to deposit into somebody who's younger. So about five years ago, I really started struggling. And a, my, a good friend of mine, that's no longer a connection, but a good friend of mine, she teased me. She was teasing me because <laughs> we had this running joke with each other because all of her friends were younger. And I was like, and so I'm like, where are you getting your friends from? The daycare? And all of my friends historically have been older by 20 years. And she's like, where are you getting yours? From the nursing home? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we had this running joke. And all of a sudden, my friends aren't older. And I think that means something. I, I crave my older friends, but they're not giving me something I need. Like, and I don't want to open that up because that'll take me down a different rabbit hole. I want to really stay focused on this idea of a mid midlife. But um, so anyway, my friends are younger. I'd love to come back and talk more about why I still crave older friends, but why my friends who are older aren't giving me what I need. Um, I'd love to come back and talk a little bit about that. And maybe I can find a way to do that in this reflection. But I don't want to fall into a rabbit hole right now. So I'm going to bypass that. So needless to say, the people we, this is what the article says, that we we lump 50 to 95 as this one-time period as, as seniors. We're seniors now and that's it. You look at lifespan development, there are these different stages that you go through. Infant. Um, toddler, childhood, puberty, young adult, mid, you know, and there are these like distinct increments of time. And then when you hit 50, it's like mid adult life or, you know, just, and maybe it's not that gross, but the article says we're pretty much lumped together. No one is really exploring that once you hit 50, you're still going to go through a developmental cycle. That developmentally, we're not done. That's fascinating. That developmentally, we are not done at 50. That there are some stages that we're still going to go through. So the article I'm going to read here um, lumps those stages into four categories. Um... I'm gonna, let me just go back. I'm reading you guys. Instead of lumping all people over age 50 into one category, commonly referred to as seniors, I suggest that we adopt four new categories devised along chronological phases one may pass through over a lifetime. These categories are freshmen, which is ages 50 to 64, sophomore, ages 65 to 79, junior, ages 80 to 94, and senior, ages 95 and beyond. Isn't that interesting, you guys? And so I'm a freshman senior <laughs> between ages 50 and 64. And my parents, my mom, my dad was who passed, they were the sophomores between 65 and 79. It just makes me sad. My dad died as a junior and um and I am a excuse me my dad died as a sophomore 
and I am a freshman, which is one of the things we were kind of still going through life together. You know, that's those are parents. But because my parents had me at 18, 19, we were still traveling together. Um, and I'm going to now miss out on him traveling. My, my grandmother passed at 90 and she was in her junior. She was, her, and I got a chance to experience that with her. And so now that I'm in 50 as a freshman, <laughs> um, this is interesting and I'm excited. This article gives me a little bit of excitement because it's like, there are some stages I'm still going to grow into. And as a person that's very motivated and excited about growth, I, this excites me. It really, it motivates me. And I think this is one of the reasons why I have been feeling really good since yesterday. <laughs> I mean, so um, my spiritual sister, I call her my spiritual sister, um, she was my former principal. And now we work. She works with me and um, we went and she came over and we had dinner yesterday and she said, you look really good. You feel good. You're, you have really good energy on you. And I said, yeah, I think, I think I had a breakthrough yesterday. I said, I did this reflection um, called midlife. I didn't upload it, but it was a reflection that I think really has value for me. And I think I feel good for it. And I think this is part of it, you all, to realize as a person that loves to set goals and to grow, I think I've been really struggling with what goals do I set now? What goals do I set at 50? Especially because I'm not interested in work goals. And I can set goals for work, but I'm not really motivated to, I'm not really motivated at a deep level for employment or would work as I have been in the past. So I've been sitting around waiting, like maybe grief. I think I talked about that this weekend. Maybe grief is holding me back. Maybe I'm not excited about setting goals because I'm still struggling with the death of my father, right? The death of my grandmother. But what I'm wondering today, and I might, my thinking might change, but what I'm wondering today is, Maybe I wasn't excited in setting goals because our society has not done a good job at saying this is why goal setting at 50 is still relevant beyond work because you're still going to go through some life cycles. You're still going to go through some developmental cycles. And that excites me. So that's the first thing from the article. Um, I'm going to skip down to the idea of a midlife crisis. All right, I'm going to just read, and I'm going to read a paragraph to you guys. Here we go. One of the key challenges for the freshman phase, ages 50 to 64, is the incidence of midlife crisis, a term coined by Elliot Jack Jacques in a 1965 article in the International Journal of Psychoanalysis, midlife, of psychoanalysis, period. Midlife is a time when many adults take on new job responsibilities, begin caring for elders, face relationship challenges, experience the empty nest syndrome when their grown children leave home, and struggle with the onset of traditional retirement. 
These events lead many people to reassess where they are and ideally where they would like to go in the future. And so they're going to, the article is going to go and talk beyond that. And I think let's look at that paragraph for me. And one of the reasons why I struggle with the consideration of midlife crisis, because I don't, I'm not going through an empty nest syndrome. I'm not experiencing spending so much of my life, adult life raising humans that when they become adults and they leave me, it changes my sense of purpose. I'm not struggling with that because I don't have kids. I don't have to. So I'm not going through that change. That would be a, a, a market change in a, one's adult life. And that's something I'm not experiencing. So not only is this midlife, mm, not only am I not struggling, mm, how do I say it? Okay, not only should I be irritated that people look at mm, work, is that you're, we ground so much of this in your typical heteronormative, pa- pa- heteronormative patriarchal way. And the reason why I'm saying patriarchal, because in a patriarchy, women are designated um, and are, are situated in a particular way. Most women are find meaning in life purpose in life by being mothers and I believe and you guys I'm going to say something I don't know if this is from yesterday's reflection that I did not upload or this past weekend's reflection in which I did so if this is on repeat bear with me but I made this joke to some students you know what it was it was this week so you haven't heard this joke it really didn't go over well anyway the kids didn't laugh. I thought it was funny. The kids didn't laugh, though. So I'm trying to get the students to leave camp, the campus within 15 minutes of dismissal. You need to be removed from campus because I don't have teachers out there supervising you. And um, um, anyway, so I'm thinking about work. Something just popped in my head about work. Anyway, and I'm not going to open that up. So I'm trying to get the students to leave campus in 15 minutes just for safety reasons. And some of them are really fighting me about it. (laughs) They just want to hang out. They just want to hang out. And I get it. All right. So I I don't like to repeat myself. And I usually use systems. I use systems to manage people more than my interpersonal skills. Because I don't, it doesn't serve me well to try to use my interpersonal skills first. However, after I put in systems and structures, then I will use my interpersonal skills. But first, anytime I'm managing and moving people from one space to another, whether that is a geographical space or a psychological educational space, I do so by way of structures and systems first. Okay, I don't rely on my charisma, if you will. So I don't have a system yet in place to, I, sorry, um, my alarm is going to start going off because it's supposed to be time for me to get up and start going to work. And um, anyway, 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 just want to let you know you guys are going to hear that. I won't disable it. Um, 
So I, I am trying to get another adult to create a system. And he's been resisting that. And I asked him if he needed me to help him create the system. No, I'm fine. And I think people don't know what to do with me in my systems. In my, it, they work, obviously. As a, I'm an INDJ. They work. But I think there is a population of people who move about in the world with FE. And they get people to do things through that function FE. I get people to do things through TE, extroverted thinking. And so I have dropped into this environment that has pretty much been structured around FE users. And now as a TE user, trying to get people to do things differently through a TE lens is not an easy, it's not an easy transition. But anyway, so this guy is finally starting to put in a system that I wanted. But anyway, I would love to linger there, but I'm not going to unpack that because I really want to talk about that transition, getting him to move from an FE process to a TE process, but nonetheless. So anyway, I'm trying to get the students to move out and move and leave the campus in 15 minutes. So I repeated my, I started repeating myself. And then I said to the kids, I said, if I wanted to repeat myself, I would have become a parent. I would have had kids. Shh. I thought that was funny. They were like, huh? They were like, you don't have kids? <laughs> that was so, so instead of them laughing at my joke, and you're probably like, it's not funny, but it was funny to me. I guess my delivery was off. But anyway, <laughs> instead of them laughing at the joke, um, two of the girls looked at me and said, you don't have kids? Kind of like I was an alien. Like they couldn't even fathom a woman with no kids. Like, and I was like, no, sweetie, you have a choice as a woman. You don't have to, you don't have to have kids. If you want to have kids, that's great. You don't have to have kids. And that felt really, really important for me to say that. And I've said that as a critical race feminist. That's just something I do say. Um, but it's always striking to me when I do say it because I know that I am, I am, I'm in causing a paradigm shift for in a society that pretty much give a society that gives women their worth by way of mothering. And if you're a mother or seem to be mother, that's great. I, I'm not against that. You know, it's the same way that in, in the fact that I have not centered men in my life. And because I have not centered men, people think that I'm anti-man. That's not true. It's not true. And it's not a fair assessment or characterization of me. But this is how the matrix works. The matrix, the matrix expects us to follow these scripts blindly. And when we have people who don't follow those scripts, we treat them as deviants, right? There's nothing wrong with mothering. That's amazing. I am thankful. I'm in awe of it. But that's not how I found worth in my life. That's not how I found meaning as an adult. And so it's powerful. So let me say this one other story. I was in the grocery store on Monday. Excuse me. And I was um, 
checking on this lady. Speaking of moms, this lady had this little girl in the stroller. This the girl couldn't have been two years old. And she was just looking at me. The little girl was just looking at me with this like pensive stare. And I told her mom, I was like, ooh. I said, she's a processor. You know, she's, you know, really looking at me. The mom was like, oh, she's just in a mood. She's in a mood. And I said, well, it's okay. And then so the mother tried to get the little girl to say hi and to be friendly to me and to smile. I was like, I said, no, she doesn't have to. It's okay to be serious. It's okay to be in a mood. And this is how I went into this thing about how in society women, people try to get women to smile and to be friendly. I said, that has nothing to do with the person and everything to do with the people who are on, on the receiving end of that smile or the absence of the smile. The smile makes people comfortable. And we are burdened as women to make people comfortable and we're expected to do it with a smile. And so I said, as I was checking out my groceries with this mom and her little daughter, her, she doesn't have to smile. And the mom was like, that's an that's a interesting perspective. And I felt like two things in, a, in that day, I made a deposit. One with my female students, like, you don't have to be a mom. And then with this little girl, she doesn't, she's not smiling at two. She can be in a mood. She doesn't have to smile. Anyway, <laughs> let me get off my soapbox. Let me get off my critical race feminist soapbox for a minute. <laughs> so, anyway, I said that was a rabbit hole. But anyway, I, I'm i not going through that shift of the emptiness because I didn't have kids. That's not how I did meaning making as an adult. I didn't have kids, so I'm not experiencing the emptiness syndrome. The other thing typical to midlife crisis as it relates to this article is taking on new job responsibilities. That's the other part that I'm having a hard time wrestling with as in midlife crisis. So yes, I'm in a new job. I'm in a, I've, the last three years I've had four jobs in the last three years. And part of me is trying to, um, part of me wants to stay in this current job, not because it's a fit, but because I don't think there is going to be a fit. And that's something that I've come to in the last 24 hours because of this midlife reflection. I don't think there's going to be a job that's going to be a fit for me. But I'm saying that at 85%. I'm still going to try to keep an open mind. But let me just say this. So I'm not going through new job responsibilities because I'm ranking up or because I'm going after new jobs because I'm growing. And that's the challenge. The jobs that I've had over the, 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 the past four jobs and over the past three years have not been about growth, but they've been about survival, right? Me getting on my feet, because I had the structural, I went through that structural insecurity where I couldn't financially take care of myself. Um, because I was trying to grow in the world, and oftentimes I associate that growing in relationships through the romantic self. But at the end of the day, I was trying to grow. That didn't work. So then I had to get on my feet. I took these jobs. 
These jobs were not about growth. They were about survival. What I did do is I was like, okay, I've invested so much time and money and energy into my my profession that if I'm going to take a job to get on my feet, let it be in alignment with what I've done, what I've been trained to do, right? So I went back to teach. I went back in a classroom to teach. I love teaching. I don't have a problem with it, except I'm overqualified as a teacher. And now I'm, I'm bumping heads with other people who are aspirational into their growth as leaders, right? They're growing as leaders. And now they're trying to supervise me. And I have more experience and knowledge than they do. So that's a struggle. All right. So now I'm like, well, I might as well. I don't really want to do leadership. I don't really want to do leadership in a system that I've outgrown. Now I can say I've outgrown it with certainty today, but I wouldn't have said that prior to that reflection. But that's what it is. I've outgrown my industry. I've outgrown it. And I'm thinking the only position, the only position that I haven't outgrown would be some kind of district leadership position. And even then, I'm worried about it. Because while I've never been, I've done some district leadership, but like, let me say, a senior member of a district level position, I have not held that spiritually, I have outgrown that because most senior level district positions are functioning as chief decision makers. I've been a chief decision maker twice, roughly 10 years. So if I experience a supervisor that's been in a chief decision making role, over 10 years, yes, that person is going to be able to deposit into me. But, but not many, not many people, which kind of speaks to this issue, what I'm experiencing with my friends who are older, because I'm looking to grow. And my older friends, it's almost like they've maxed out on their growth. They've maxed out on what's possible. And so they can't, they can no longer deposit in me. Because they stopped growing. I'm glad I was able to circle back to that, by the way. So I'm now connecting with younger people. And it's not because they're advising me, but because they're having a different relationship with the world. So while they're not serving as advisors to me, I'm leaning and I'm going, ooh, that's interesting. And I'm able to learn through them because they're situated in the world differently than my mentors who are 20 years my senior and they've just not, they're not, they're not growing. And according to this article, if you're 70 years old, you are considered a sophomore senior. You're still growing and they're not sharing that growth. So anyway, that was an interesting connection that I just made. Um, so I'm, I'm not taking on a new job that's about growth for me. So I'm not experiencing that. I'm taking on these jobs as survival. That doesn't feel midlife. 
Um, I'm not dealing with the empty nest. I'm not taking care of my elder family, like my dad, a little bit as he got sick. But that wasn't because he was aging. That's because he had cancer and he didn't let me take care of him. He really, he didn't, he didn't really want me to. And I wanted to, and he didn't want me to, and that, we're not going to open that up right now. And my mom is not yet at that stage. So I'm not dealing with that, right? So there are these pieces that I'm like, I'm not going through that. All right, but let's talk about what I am going through. And then I'm going to start closing. I'm going to continue reading from the article. Midlife is also a period of time when people realize that they are living their lives. No, mm -mm. let me start over. Midlife is also a period of time when people realize that how they are living their lives no longer suits them, nor gives them a sense of meaning. The symptoms associated with this midlife crisis, most often shared by my clients, of course, this is the article, Elaine talking, include I'm going to read these bullets. One, two, three, four, five, six. There are six of them. Number one, feeling discontent with one's life or lifestyle, including people and activities which may have at one time provided more fulfillment. Number two, questioning decisions made years earlier. Number three, confusion about one's achievements and questioning why I failed to manifest the life I thought I would have by now. Number four, Confusion about who am I beyond the roles assigned by others, both in the workplace and in one's personal life. And my number five, you guys, I'm sorry. Anger expressed or hidden over trying to fulfill the expectations of others or wanting their approval in lieu of pursuing one's own, one's own wishes or dreams. And number six, yearning for the earlier years, wanting to retreat rather than move forward. And out of those six bullets, I can see myself in all of them. Some more than others, but I need to be honest. Out of those six bullets, I'm experiencing that. So I'm like, whoop. Then that's, and that's when I hit the point yesterday in that reflection. Like, oh, maybe I am in a midlife because I'm a crisis because I'm relating to that. So let me, let me, um, let me kind of just share a little bit of how I'm connecting with those bullets, bullet points. And then I'm going to, like I said, start closing. I look, I look for, I found this article because I was trying to search for meaning. I'm struggling with making meaning in my life. And I have my entire adult life made meaning by way of my work. So I talked about not having kids. I gave birth to organizations. I gave birth to frameworks. I gave birth to books. And all of those, all of that birthing was that fed my ego, fed my identity. I had a reason. Oh, I gave birth to curriculum, right? I'm thinking about these major things that I produced and I created that I mothered, if you will. And I gave, I gave it to the world. I pushed it out into the world. And as I was going through, when I was writing the book, when I was developing the curriculum, when I was developing the school, when I was developing the, my research, my framework, in each of those components, I remember getting up every day 
going into a flow state like, okay, I'm creating something. And it, I, it literally gave me, I would wake up in the morning and roll over and I couldn't wait to put my feet to the ground. And I was excited about it. Even when I gave birth to the, my podcast, number one, excited about it. I don't have that excitement anymore. There's nothing that makes me hit that when I wake up in the morning, there's no urgency for my feet to hit the ground to go, oh, I, we got to finish this. Now, are there things I'm working on that I'm proud of? Yes. I even feel like I have a fair degree of excitement, but not the excitement that I experienced in those other projects. Literally waking up, I had to force myself to go through like my morning hygiene routine because I was so excited to hit, put my feet to the ground and start working. I wanted to start working. I had to say, wait a minute. Let's go to the bathroom. Let's take a shower. Let's do those things right. So I don't have that type of urgency right now. And is it a bad thing? I don't know. But it feels a loss for me. Because my entire adult life has been driven by that kind of urgency. That kind of excitement. And I don't have it. The other thing that I'm realizing is that I don't have that belonging piece. That was what I was really thinking about. Like when I, when I looked at the list and belonging came up twice on that list, belonging to my culture and belonging as it relates to love. Like, and I don't translate that into, oh, I want to be married or I want to be in a relationship. It doesn't translate like that for me. I think our society has given me that narrative that that's the only way you can belong when you become an adult is you belong by way of getting married. You belong by way of having kids. And neither of those things really compelled me. But I did have belonging. I belonged to my family by way of my grandmother. Okay? I belong to my work with other people who were doing that work. I don't have that belonging right now. My grandmother has passed. So while my family is the same and now we get together, we we get together on her holidays. My grandmother was really big for Thanksgiving and big on the 4th of July. And those are the two holidays where the family, we come together. That's it. <laughs> that's it. And that's and as much as I struggle with intergenerational trauma, I suffered through those two holidays because that's the only time I get that belonging through family. And so I go and I do that. Um, at work, I'm like, I don't have that belonging because. I'm not prop, well, I'm better positioned now that they have me functioning as a principal, but not completely because I still don't have chief decision making authority. I have, 
I have liability. I have responsibility, but I don't have decision-making authority. Not really. Not at the level I'm used to. So I don't feel like I really belong there either. So I'm going through life and I don't, you know, what bullet is that? Um, Feeling discontent with one's life or lifestyle. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even go through the bullets, but the sense of meaning, right? Meaning and belonging are, those are gone. In terms of how I've done it in the past. Let me go to the sixth bullet point where it says yearning for the earlier years, wanting to retreat rather than moving forward. If you go to my list from this weekend, one of the things on the list was, um, where is it at? Oh, it's number eight. And I I told you, and I'm going to tell you again, if you have kids around, pause, because I'm going to swear. Um, So number eight on my list is son of a bitch. And then the parentheses, I have SI as an in introverted sensing. So those of us who are NI DOMs, INTJs or INFJs, our inferior function to the shadow stack, most of the time when MBTI people talk about is the primary stack or the ego stack. And our inferior function is extroverted sensing. But there's such a thing as a shadow stack. And those are the functions that we don't use, we don't identify with. At the bottom of that stack is called introverted sensing. It's a memory function. And I call it a son of a bitch because it only activates for me in a way that haunts me, right? And I start remembering in a way that makes me sad. And I remember all of the things. It's just a hunting and some people call it a de- the demon function. That's what it is for me. It makes me sad. <laughs> and so this bullet point here, yearning for the earlier years, wanting to retreat rather than moving forward, that's a struggle for me because without a, a narrative to look forward to, like you have these developmental stages that you're still going to go through. Look forward to what does it mean to be a freshman senior, a sophomore senior, a junior senior, a senior senior. Without having that language, something to look forward to, I'm looking at all of the developmental seasons of my past. And then there's this reminiscing, there's this romanticizing of the past that's not completely true. There's a melancholy feeling that's not true. And so I'm excited about being able to put that function and go, okay, those are important milestones, but you're remembering those in ways that aren't completely true. I don't have that memory function in a way that's the most representative a reality of what really happened i'm only remembering it in parts and so it it really gets me in trouble when i start relying on that function but in the absence of having anything to look forward to i was kind of like circling the drain the last four to five years i've been thinking about introverted sensing like this is getting me in trouble but i didn't have anything to counter that so I'm really excited about this article of telling me, no, you have some developmental stages in front of you to look forward to and to plan and to set goals. So, yay. Um, I want to do say, I want to make this little disclaimer about the comment, son of a bitch, because I usually don't use that term. That 
and I don't mind cursing, but that's one that I don't use because of my, like if you think about the etymology of that framing, I think it comes from, what is the term bitch is, you know, as a woman, um, and I don't, for, for whatever reason, I, I look at it as a woman that was unmarried. And I'm thinking, are they talking about Jesus and Mary? So I usually don't use that framing because it makes me think it's, it makes me, it, it feels kind of blasphemous for me. But I, there was no other terminology to explain how I experienced that introverted, introverted sensing. So, um, let me, let me go to some of these other bullet points. I'm going to go a little over an hour, you guys, just because I, I, there are a couple of points I still want to make. Um, one of the things, feeling disconnected from one's life or lifestyle, including people and activities, which may have at one point provided fulfillment. I've already talked about that through my, my job. My work is no longer giving me that fulfillment. Um, I don't really question decisions that I made earlier in life, even that relationship. I don't question it. I don't question not having kids. I don't question not getting married in a traditional sense. What I do question, I guess if I'm going to question anything is, I question how I saw myself. I saw myself through the lens of other people. And I don't even think that's a question. I regret it. I regret not seeing myself in a holistic, healthy way. Um, so I don't really relate to that bullet point a lot. Uh, confusion about one's achievements and questioning why I failed to manifest the life I thought I would have by now. I guess... Did I think I would have to go back? Like, I think one of the things I've struggled with is that I, I still have ideas and creativity in me, but they are not in alignment with capitalism. So our society pays you based on the how society has valued a thing. So we get paid based on how society values the thing that we do. So the thing that I want to do next in the world, society doesn't value it. So I cannot attach income and survival to it. That's confusing for me. So even from an entrepreneurial perspective, you know, when I'm studying about how to launch, you know, the, they'll tell you, make a list of the things that you do really, really well. And then you make another list of what society wants. And the thing that you do really well, and if, if the thing that's on the list of what you do really well and you're passionate about, look and see if that thing falls on what society values. And then that's the thing you should go and be an entrepreneur in. But the thing I value right now is not on the list at all for society. At least not in the way I understand it. So that is, it has created like this stuckness in me. Like, okay, well, what do I do? So then I'm like, well, I'm going to go back and use my credentials in education. And I'm going to make money because I know I can make money. I know I can survive here, even though my passion is not there. Not my get out of bed, put my feet on the ground, 
passion. And there is a pocket of the work that I'm doing now that if I was given full decision-making authority, it would give me greater passion. It would give me greater passion. But since I've done the reflection from yesterday, I know I I have unlocked an area of my life that I really would love to pursue. And I am going to pursue it. But I have to pursue it in the absence of money. So now I have to figure out how to situate that thing in my life while I'm still trying to take care of of myself, And I think in some twisted way, I've known this all along, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to buy a, a duplex, right? I get a house, I get a duplex, I can get renters who will pay a portion of my mortgage. Then I don't, you know what I mean? Like, then I, I don't know, I've just been, that was one strategy, um, having multiple gigs, if you will, like moving into some kind of gig economy. But the only thing that... I struggle with in terms of having a a hustle where I have multiple gigs is that now I got to manage these multiple gigs and I'm not using my energy to do the thing that I'm passionate about, right? Because as an introverted intuitive, I don't want to be bouncing around into multiple projects. I really want to focus on one thing. I want to have focus on one thing. Even if I move from project to project, I want to focus on one thing at a time. And so that is something that I have been, that is something I've been struggling with. Um, so, but now that I have accepted in this reflection that I did yesterday, the one that I have, I'm not going to upload for you all, um, is that there is something that I want to do next. There is passion in me still. And only reason why I was having a hard time connecting to that passion is because it was not connected to the matrix in the way that it's not connected to the social world the way we understand it. It's not connected to the social narratives. It's not connected to my work. It's not connected to traditional Ways that we see womanhood, traditional ways that we see people moving about. And so in the absence of a model, I couldn't lean into that. And a part of me wants to go get another book that will talk about the role that so models have. I'm going to, I'm going to put you guys on pause. I got to go get a book. Hold on one second. Okay, you guys, I'm back. I've been paused for a few minutes and um, because I was struggling with finding the right book. Um, I have a book on a social psychology and I was assuming that what I needed was in that book and then I couldn't find it. I'm like, what am I, delusional? And then I had to go to my learning theory book um, on human human learning and human development. And so anyway, so I'm going to read something. Um, it's from Social Cognitive Theory. Um, people learn by observing the behaviors of others as well as by observing the outcomes of those behaviors. Um, many early behaviorists view learning, viewed learning largely as a matter of trial and error. People learn by making a variety of responses and then modifying their behavior based on the consequences or the reinforcement that those responses bring. 
In contrast, social cognitive theorists propose that most learning takes place not through trial and error, but instead through watching the behavior of other individuals, models. And that's what the matrix provides us. So as, as much as I'm critical of the social world, I can be. The reality is that the, the social world gives us models. And that's how we recreate the social world. It recreates itself. Because we're learning the things that we see. Until those, unless those of us who are just misfits. Like we're not doing the things that the social world dictates. And I, uh, and this is what I'll say. Um, this is what I'll say as I, I really am struggling to close because I feel like I still have so much more I want to say. Um, in the reflection that I didn't upload, I, uh, I talked about the two halves of life that I've, re- I've referenced many times in this project. Uh, conceptualized at least how I was introduced to the two halves of life by father Richard Rohr. And he talks about, we can't move into the second half of life until we go and we master all of the systems and the skills and the utilities of the social world. And once we've mastered what the the world gives us, then we move into a phase where we transform that. We go above and beyond. You can't move into this other realm until you've mastered the skills of surviving in this world. And this is to the point of my cousin, who she could have very well had a midlife crisis at 21. Because Rich Father, Father Richard Roy says that you can go into the second half of life. Kids can go into their second, into the second half of life. You don't have to be 50 or beyond. You could have mastered everything you needed in the first, in, in the world at a very early stage. And then you move into this place where you're trans, you're, excuse me, did I say transform? I meant to say you transcend that. You transcend it. But most people, in, but you can't transcend the thing that you haven't mastered. So the, up until I've done that. I've gotten the degrees, I've gotten the license, I've perfected my craft. I'm sitting in meetings, I don't, I I can go to work, I don't really have to put a lot of time into something. My assistant principal, there was a problem, I was trying to help him problem solve it, and I was, and he wanted to solve it one way, I was like, no, we can just do it this way. And he was like, no, I said, all right, because I'm thinking you've been in this institution longer than I have, or this, this campus longer than I have. And then he was like, he told me later, he was like, I don't know why I didn't just, why did I fight you on it? Your way was better. In my head, I was like, yep, it really was better. But I'm like, I'm just going to trust that you're going to go do, let you have your own learning curve. But I've gone through all of that. I've had my own trial and error, um, if you will. There's no learning in this for me because it's time for me to transcend all of that. But because there's no model for transcendence, I don't have any models. I think the only models I have are people who are in the church, who are clergy. And then I'm like, well, am I supposed to be a preacher? Am I supposed to be a reverend? I don't think so. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> growing, going to church, I can go to church, but that's just not my jam, even though I do value, I can get something out of going to a, a church service or any religious service. I can get something out of it, but I'm not located. I'm, I didn't, it's not, it's not me. So I just have been, I've been lost without a model. I've been lost primarily because I don't have a model, but also because I need to accept that I have hit transcendence. I'm not, I'm no longer functioning on these systems of the world. And I may have told you this before where um, I had a scripture that said, it's not my scripture, but it's, it's scripture from the Bible that says, I can't even give it to you as a direct quote, but it's something about be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think the first part of that, like, don't be governed by the systems of the world. Be transformed. Now I need to look that up. Hold on. Well, my computer just died, so I can't read it, but it's wrong. I think it's Romans 8. 12, 12 and 8. Anyway, it was in Romans and then the, the computer died in the, in the, in the Christian text, the Bible. Anyway, so I, um, anyway, I'm going to close here. I think that's just what this, this, this article has given me. Like, you are at a pivotal stage and that's kind, and this is where I am going to close. This point that midlife crisis, they say, the article says comes from this idea of a turning point. And the the misnomer about a midlife crisis is that you're only going to hit, you're going to hit this one major turning point in your life and it happens around your 50s. But the reality is we have many turning points, many moments, pivotal, pivotal, my God, pivotal moments. For whatever reason. And. I think what makes it a crisis. What makes that pivotal moment a crisis. Is because we're in the absence of a model. And then we start scrambling like. Oh what does this mean? What am I? And we don't really. We don't know what to do. Because we don't have it modeled for us. This reflection wasn't as good as the one I did yesterday. I really liked the one yesterday, but it's shorter because he has the one yet. Well, it was, it was, it was an hour and 20 minutes. So we're at hour and 10. Um, but we have multiple turning, multiple pivotal points and we need models to help us to go through those moments. And I guess when you hit a place of transcendence and you don't have a model, I guess that's what I have to sit with right now. If I don't have a concrete model, how do I get, what is going to guide me? What's going to guide me through this, I'm in this learning curve that I'm going through. So while I don't yet know what that is, I genuinely don't know what it is. And I feel like I still have more questions than I have answers. Let me do, let me settle on some things. Let me close with what I do feel resolved or clear about. 
it is okay. I have transcended work. Like work is no longer my meaning-making apparatus in the world. I've transcended that. Doesn't mean I'm not working anymore. No. Now, maybe I'm going to find out a year later that it wasn't about transcending work. But for now, I'm going to rest and say, meaning for me is no longer found through my work, and that is okay. I still have to work, but I don't need to, I'm circling the drain, like, what job should I have that's going to give me meaning? I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. In this sense, I am. I am also resolved that there is something that would make me really excited about putting my feet to the ground in the morning. And I have to figure out how to do more of that thing. Especially in light of having to work. This is going to be a struggle for me. Because then I'm like, well, do I go into a job that's not going to require a lot for me? And I can come home and then... But then if it... But cycle as a type 8... I'm not going to be able to just do any job and even as an INTJ and have anybody over me. So I'm still going to have to have a a job that is robust enough. It still has to be robust for me, but not. But then it has to be okay that it's not giving me a sense of purpose. Doesn't give me my meaning. And that feels like a contradiction because for so long, my work has given me, given me meaning and it has been robust. It's been intellectually and spiritually challenging. And there is a split for me. It still has to be intellectually challenging, but probably not spiritually. More than like, not at all. It's got to be robust. It's got to be intellect. Even if it's not challenging, it has to be intellectually fulfilling for me. But that's not my meaning. And I think the other piece is belonging. And if I've belonged so long through my grandmother by way of her family, and that's no longer available. And then by my way of work, I don't know how I'm going to get my sense of belonging. But at least today, I understand that as a legitimate void. It is a void. I don't have to deny it. I don't have to pretend like it's not a void, right? But I can meditate on it to figure out what, where am I going to get that sense of belonging? What is that going to look like at this stage of my life? And I think the last piece is that there is something about who I am today that I'm super excited about. And I want to help other people to get to their truest selves as fast as possible. (laughs) And, um, yeah. And what is that going to mean for me? And how am I going to do that in tandem with some of the other pieces? So I don't have answers, but I do have clarity as to what the question is. I don't have answers, but I have the question now.
I have the right questions. I've been asking the wrong questions. And I've been saying, I keep processing my life in on repeat over and over again because I don't have a new question. And I feel like the universe is giving me some new questions. How do I find new ways of belonging? Because these other ways I've, I've transcended, well, I've, I've outgrown them. And how do I have new meaning? I've transcended the other ways I've done meaning in my life. And those are, those are new questions. Those are new questions. And I'm excited to see what answers are going to come. Multiple turning points in your life. But I think each time we have a turning point, we have models that can show us what that looks like until you hit the place where there are no longer models. Because now, here it is, you become the model. That thing is about, it's up to you to present that to the world. That feels so type one, you guys. So type one. Anyway. If this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about midlife crisis, about turning points, about models, about meaning, about purpose, about belonging, if any of this conversation relates to something, a conversation you've had in the world, please take the link and share it out. If my moving about has caused some randomness in you, I would love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. Twitter, you're NIDOM1, Facebook, NIDOM, and you're NIDOM. And then YouTube, you're NIDOM. Let me give you your assignment. So I'm, I'm struggling with the assignment I want to give you because I want to ask you what are, what are some turning points that you've endured in your life? Like, have you, as you've gone, how, I don't care if you're 17, 27, 77. If you look back in your life, you've had turning points. You've had pivotal moments. I don't know why I struggle with that word. You've had pivotal moments. And as my dad once took me through a process to show me that if I've gotten this far, and I've, if I look over my shoulder and I look at what I've accomplished or what I've been able to endure or understand, accomplish, accomplish why would I not be able to endure, accomplish moving forward? I don't feel that I can't. I think I just have been feeling confused in the absence of belonging and in, in the absence of having meaning. Um, so, but for you, what it would have been some turning points for you that you've, had success with, even if you struggled, you can look back now and go, that was a turning point. That was a turning point. That was a turning point. Look at those past turning points and see that as success. And then ask yourself if there's anything that you're circling the drain right now because you won't embrace it as a turning point. Are you struggling with anything right now are you circling the train because you won't allow yourself permission to change? Maybe you maybe you don't have a model for the change. Maybe you don't understand it. Maybe you're still, maybe you're haunted by something of the past. <laughs> um, but what's preventing, what is 
preventing change, especially if you see yourself circling the drain. And I've been circling the drain. I definitely have been. Because I haven't understood what the change is that I needed. And I really believe today that it's been about meaning and belonging um, for me. I don't know if that's what it's going to be about for you, but that's what it's been about for me. My midlife crisis, if you will, is about meaning and belonging. And having the opportunity to not belong the way I've belonged in the past and to not make meaning the way I've done in the past. So I have an opportunity to do it differently. Do I know how I'm going to do it differently? No. I just know that I have to do it differently and that I have to release the past. I've got to release it. Know that I can get through it, but I have to release it to get through it. So what is it that you are holding on to? Because you don't want to change. I feel like I feel like this is assignment is for me. Sometimes I give you the assignment after I've already worked through it myself. But this is one of those situations where I feel like, now I got to sit with this assignment. This one is for me too. All right. You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. I don't know if that assignment is going to really work for you. Um, but just try, okay? But this reflection, um, it's been a pleasure. I'm sorry, you guys. I'm, I'm, my, I'm in my head right now. It has been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye.